<laughs> Yay. Yay! Welcome back to episode zero point two, <laughs> or Prairie Dog Two. <laughs> Our testisode too. You've just nailed it. That okay. should be our opening theme. Right. Fuck paying anyone for music. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome everyone. That's our comedy queen, Kate. Hello, hello. And that's our scare-obsessed Dominique. <laughs> Dominique. <laughs> and you're listening to... Shit Bricks. <laughs> Again, nailed that. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness me. All right, so this is obviously a podcast for those of us that like to talk shit and get scared. Or as we like to say down under, shit and bricks or sh- crap in your dacks or, yeah, that's enough. Lay- laying cable. <laughs> 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 oh now don't forget uh guys if you are listening please uh don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast it is a bit of fun yep and this goes a really long way it helps keep us this baby of ours alive obviously absolutely and make sure that you jump onto the socials the social media pages of shitting bricks podcast you can find us on instagram twitter We've probably got an email. I think there's a carrier pigeon service. Just get into it. Oh, my God. I just watched The Producers again last night, and that (laughs) reminds me so much of Hitler Hitler Pigeon. (laughs) Oh, my God. I flippin' love that musical. That's I think that's my favourite musical by far. Yeah, I think they did a good job. And now, look, we're talking about movies again already. Oh, my God. I think, yeah, we're definitely... (laughs) This is heavily, heavily biased, heavily influenced by pop culture, films and television. Oh, my gosh. So how are you doing, Kate? What's news? Well, it's been a big day. I have two massive things that have happened to me so far today. Number one, I had a shower. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. It was it was a treat. Number two, I'm wearing a bra. <laughs> On both titties or just one? Uh, t- both for now. But look, as these stories get, you know, scarier and more exciting, one might just pop out. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> Slip a nip. <laughs> it's been known to happen. I'm glad that you're feeling super supported today. I am currently commando at the moment, so I'm sorry I'm not in there with solidarity, but... That's okay. Next time. Yeah, look, see how you go. It's just what you feel, you know. We've been in lockdown for half of our adult life, so you just do what you need to do. I need to let the puppies breathe. (laughs) So true. Uh, All right, excellent. So, look, why don't I just jump into what we're going to have a bit of a conversation about today. How do you feel about that? the uh the idea of me jumping into this story dominic i think that's great but before we do i should give a little bit of a disclaimer for our listeners um yeah it's just a reminder that as you can already tell we love to have a laugh i mean we are pretty funny we think so but uh these stories often involve some very serious or horrific events so we mean no disrespect to the victims survivors or their loved ones we just think humor is a really powerful way to help Uh, people process and cope and even heal so if you don't understand this you won't understand us so just move the fuck along (laughs) exactly right so what's our theme kate well our theme this week is uh something called dementophobia 
<gasps> and dementophobia. Now that is a, uh, it involves a fear of madness or insanity. So people who have this fear, they're afraid they're going insane or they're losing touch with reality. Is this a personal attack? <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, it could be. It could be a personal attack. No, look, when we were doing a bit of research for this show, I actually asked my mum what are some of the things that freak her out. And she said to me, she was just sort of really thinking about it and she was kind of looking off into the distance and then she was like, if you were in an insane, insane asylum but you weren't crazy, how would you convince them that you're not crazy? And I couldn't agree more. That's That's terrifying. Uh, that certainly makes me yeah, feel really uncomfortable. So I thought, well, why don't we have a bit of a look into this? And, you know, it's always nice to start with the definition. People like to define things. So the, the you know, clinical term, according to Google, I could be wrong, uh, is dementophobia. So it's, yeah, that idea that you are going insane or you might be insane or maybe you feel like you're completely sane but people don't believe you. Uh, it's... Yeah, probably one of the worst nightmares that uh, you can sort of, uh, yeah, consider. Oh, good old Kaz. She totally had such a right idea. Good on her. I think that's amazing. <laughs> sometimes sometimes she freaks me out a little bit because she's so, like, so cute and hilarious and she's, like, so smart. So when you ask her about these sorts of things, she'll really think about it. And then about 15, 20 minutes later, I went to see her again and she's just sitting there like she's freaking out. I was like, mum, stop thinking about the things now. That's enough. Don't need to think about things that scare you anymore. <laughs> so I yeah, had to, you know, pull her off the dementophobia cliff, bring her back to real life. So look, doing my research into this, there's a, you, you can look at so much stuff. And I got into that a little bit. I went down a bit of a rabbit hole. Um, Suffice to say that if you were alive in the 1800s, so if you know you're you're around and you were like a criminal or you're a little bit kooky, uh, things were great for you. Mm -hmm. That's what I've learned. So to give you a little bit of a background, so I had a bit of a look at Australian institutions. Australia had a lot of insane asylums or <laughs> mental institutions. Um, I think it's got something to do with the fact that ships and ships and ships filled with convicts <laughs> landed on our shores. <laughs> and they just didn't... send them all here. Yeah, just send them all here. That's fine. Uh, you know, the supposed uh, empty country where nobody lived before they send all these convicts. Um, I say that with complete sarcasm, by mm -hmm. the way. Um, yeah, so essentially in Australia there was... <laughs> Criminals, idiots, or lunatics, so basically my friendship group, um, were all bundled together in a, in a jail. So whatever the town jail was for where they were, they were all just put in together. Mm -hmm. um, so if they were a nuisance or a menace to the community, they were just shipped off, let's put them all into a jail. But then in Australia, so New South Wales specifically, 1811, a mental asylum was established, mm -hmm. and they tried to separate those who were criminals from those who were mentally ill. The issue was they didn't really know how to run the institution uh, for those that were deemed mentally ill. So they essentially hired untrained wardens that were just huge in physical stature. Yeah. That was it. That was just the the only hiring you know requirement 
are you ginormous and are you intimidating? <laughs> Just get James Gandolfini to do all of the... Exactly, exactly right. You can imagine the treatment that these uh, mentally ill patients would have received if there's untrained James, James Gandolfini's running around <laughs> this institution. Hey, what are you hey, doing? What are you doing? Hey. All right, so that's the sort of, you know, beginning in terms of uh, how they determined what Mm -hmm. they were going to do with people deemed mentally ill. Um, In 1843, so again, 1800s, not a great time, the Lunacy Act was introduced in Victoria. So I love that language as well. But when I first looked at it, I thought the Lunacy Act, this is going to be really bad. Turns out it was a piece of legislation that shifted the conceptualization of mental illness and actually uh, explained that these patients needed medical treatment uh, and they needed the government to care for them. So poor choice of name, maybe word, but look, it's 1843. So they haven't quite, you know, shifted into more modern language. Yeah, they've still got rats coming after them and shit, so... Yeah, exactly right. Uh, so, look, that was a good piece of legislation, which, yeah, sort of changed changed the perspective on that. I can't imagine that it, you know, flooded through the entire world that people started to think uh, that, you know, people needed treatment rather than just to be have the shit kicked out of them. Um, but, yeah, look, that was a, a good move forward. Um, then after the war, so in 1950, 1970, uh, that was the introduction of happy pills. So all of the medications that, uh, yeah, look, were, you know, ch- uh, chosen to treat mentally ill patients. I've um, got nothing against pills. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, there was so many, you know, that was that was leaps and bounds, leaps and bounds. And I'm pretty sure a lot of the happy pills that they, you know, prescribed, they were essentially designed so that they could send people back out into the community. Mm. So, you know, it's a good thing, but then, I don't know, also, I don't know if it's a great thing. I don't really know. I don't know enough about it, but at the time there was still a real lack of understanding of how to to help people. I mean, it certainly, like, it helped uh, in that sense that, yeah, they could give them a bit of hope and actually get them out of these institutions, which is what you would want. Can't imagine being trapped in one of those places. It's a step in the right direction. It's like, okay, they need medical help. Okay, his pills might be, or, you know, this could be a solution. I think it's just not looking at the whole holistic journey, right? Yeah. You know, it's trial and error of a lot of different things. And each time they try one thing, they find a new thing out about mental health. And then, oh, okay, so we got to start back from the beginning and or change things up. But very curious to know how these institutions play a role. Yeah. And look, to be honest as well, the the next step. uh, So like in the 1980s and 1990s, the government started to realise uh, these places not not great. They're not really good. <laughs> they don't. They're just helping a lot of people make scary films, uh, and they're really just yeah breeding ground for um, the wrong type of treatment. So um, what we're saying like one two star reviews, yeah. not coming back. <laughs> Beds are uncomfortable. Didn't have a great view. Uh, yeah, definitely don't recommend. Mini bar was you know, subpar at best. The power would come off and on a lot. (laughs) That's it. 
Oh, bless. Imagine that writing a, an Airbnb review for... <laughs> That's exactly where my mind goes to. <laughs> it just makes me think, you know, because we uh, have a couple of, uh, you know, asylums not in operation, um, mm. just for those of you that are concerned that Australia is uh, behind the times. Definitely not in operation, but particularly in sort of Ballarat, Ararat, uh, you know, those Western areas of Victoria, there's still ones that you can go to to, to visit. All I think of is the cold corridors, Mm -hmm. the walls that were painted green because apparently green was a soothing colour. You know what? If I'm in a, you know, two by two room and I'm freezing cold and I'm jacked up on psychotropics, (laughs) I don't think I'm going to be too concerned about the colour of the fucking walls. (laughs) I don't think that's going to help. Well, I could give you some insight because I'm uh, recording from one of these places as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> no. What an actual <laughs> an abandoned asylum. asylum. <laughs> yeah. But funny you mentioned that. And sorry, movies are coming back into it again. I watched uh, the Return to Oz movie last night. And do you remember how horrifying the start of that was? It's this little girl strapped down. She's hooked up to an electric machine. She goes through green corridors. And it fuels the the rest of the story of the wheelers. Do you remember the bad guys, the wheelers? These evil things rolling around on the screeching wheels that reminded her of the wheels of the bed that she was on. Anyway, totally on brand today. But, um, yeah, I I wouldn't have given them a five-star review. And definitely it's a choice of style and design that they were going (laughs) for. for Well, why didn't they go for, like, some throw cushions or, you know, maybe some more indoor plants? Rather than just oh, let's just paint the walls green. Fucking Monastera would have totally saved the day. <laughs> ah, throw your lunacy act in the bin, idiots. Get some Monsteras up in there. <laughs> well, what have we learned from all these lockdowns, honestly? Oh, that we need more psychotropic drugs? Well, yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, anyway, sorry. I digress. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Look, uh, it, so in uh, Australia, the 1980s, 1990s, they started to um, deinstitutionalize these places. Uh, so the, their scope of work changed. They were like, look, you know, just chucking them in here and locking them up is not really helping. Let's try and shift to something that is a little bit more, uh, you know, all encompassing or holistic, as you said earlier, Dom. So you know, focusing on uh, education and, and, and treatment and getting people in the community and, you know, essentially not just locking people up uh, to try to actually help them. I was born in 1988. Mm-hmm. And, Dom, you were born in? When? 86. 86. So we were alive when there were still active institutions. Mm-hmm. So that kind of blows my mind a little bit because you think of these things as archaic you know obviously I was talking about the 1800s earlier that you know makes sense we're talking about the 1980s 1990s so there's people who are alive now that potentially well almost certainly would have spent time in some of these places potentially at some point in their life oh yeah that's people from my community were still being locked up for just being gay that was a mental illness exactly right That's the other side of it too, I suppose, because, you know, when I'm sort of thinking about this and I'm reading about mental illness, you are thinking about, you know, people that are, you know, suffering from like schizophrenia or Mm. suffering from delusions or suffering from, you know, trauma that's caused them to respond in a certain way. Mm -hmm. So that could potentially have an impact on their, their personality. It could have an impact on the way that they behave or things like that. And then you're thinking of people 
that are being locked up for being gay because that's a mental illness. Mm-hmm. How do you convince someone you're not crazy that's just your orientation like that again you're trapped in a place with no way of convincing people that you're just fine yeah wives mothers that were depressed lock them up unhealthy give them give them some shock therapy drug them up yep it wasn't that long ago so it's perfect tie into the the theme so oh i can't wait to hear more tell me (laughs) (laughs) all right so Back to the 1800s because, uh, you know, naturally there was a there was a lot going on in terms of the the understanding of what mental illness was and how to how to treat it or how to treat people that were put into these places. So one of the people that uh, I didn't stumble upon, I I had heard of this person before, so I wanted to read a little bit more about it. But it's Nellie Bly. Now, Nellie Bly was essentially pioneered investigative journalism. For those of you that might have seen The West Wing, uh, which, you know, you should if you haven't, uh, (laughs) season two, episode five, uh, Abby Bartlett goes to Cochran's Mills, Pennsylvania uh, to dedicate a statue to Nellie Bly because she pioneered, uh, yeah, investigative journalism, Mm -hmm. which I'll link back into our our, um, uh, topic shortly. But essentially, Cochran's Mills, Pennsylvania, uh, was named after Nellie Bly's family. Um, so they had a, a lumber mill there. Um, and yeah, she was very uh, sort of well off, but she was passionate about sharing with people, uh, yeah, what was sort of happening in the world or what's an important story to tell. Or how can I make some change? So... In 1887, again, not a great time for anybody, uh, she was 23 and she had herself committed to a New York asylum so that she could try to expose the conditions of the patients that were there. Oh, my God, I'm Um, getting American Horror Story from this completely. Yeah, and I think, to be honest, um, I was as I was doing a little bit more research, there is a film. Mm-hmm. So she wrote the, the um, series that she wrote for the, uh, the world, the New York World newspaper, um, was 10 Days in a Madhouse. So there is a film called 10 Days in a Madhouse, uh, which I'm going to watch pretty much straight after we've recorded this episode. But yes, she wanted to expose the conditions of what was going on inside of these asylums uh, because nobody really knew what was going on. Um, nobody questioned it. Mm. It was just, let's try and solve this problem and Mm. let's just chuck people into a place. As I was reading, you can find all of the articles online, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, I strongly recommend to anyone listening that you, that you read them because it details her journey of actually getting into this place. One of the, the, the beginning of her articles, she explains that she had read of abuses in these institutions. Uh, she thought that they were exaggerated or romances, but she really wanted to know 100% what was going on. Mm-hmm. So she shuddered to think how completely the insane were in the power of their keepers and how one could weep and plead for release and all of no avail if the keepers were so minded. So she accepted the mission to figure out what was going on inside the Blackwell Island asylum. She asked her editor before she went, how will you get me out mm-hmm. after I get in? Hello, number one question, <laughs> get me the fuck out here. I'm, she's about to release her first single, Man Eater. Like, exactly. Nellie's got some royalties coming her way. She wants to get out. How's she going to drop those sweet beats when she's <laughs> stuck in Blackwell Asylum? Uh, so the editor said, I don't know. 
that doesn't instill very much confidence. And then said, but we'll get you out if we have to tell them who you are and for what purpose you feigned insanity just to get in. You're putting all of your faith. So this makes this makes me really concerned. You're putting all of your faith in the fact that these people who are keeping you in the asylum make the choice whether to release you or not. So even if the editor marched up to the front gate and knocked on the door and said, Nellie Bly's in there, she's actually like a reporter, you need to let her out. They might be like, no, she's not. She's this bird because she's absolutely off her rocker. So see you later, buddy. And that's it. Yeah. Okay. What do you do? <sighs> okay. So it just, it makes me feel a lick a little bit sick. It's so terrifying. But as I went on to read a little bit more about Nellie Bly, so she essentially uh, had to pretend to be crazy. So the journey is, yeah, the journey was she pretended to be crazy. She went to uh, almost like a halfway house mm-hmm. for, you know, poor and destitute women. Um, So she went there because there was a couple of ways she could do it. She could either, you know, get her friends or family to commit her um, or she could do it on her own and kind of forge her own path. So she decided she didn't want to bring her family and friends into that. She didn't want to act crazy in front of them to to freak them out. So she just kind of went and did her own thing. Um, It's the nice way to do it. Well, that's it. Yeah. I think um, because then the flip side of that is once you've acted like you're crazy to your friends and family, will they ever believe that you aren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> I'm just freaking myself out over here. Um, so yeah, so she decided to go to a halfway house. So a place, yeah, poor, poor, destitute people. A lot of um, refugees, immigrants would go to these places. Uh, and then she started to, you know, act crazy. Um, so she would sort of yeah, repeat herself in conversation. She was obsessed about finding her, her luggage trunks. Mm-hmm. Um, she was demanding that people find them and bring them to her. Uh, she was explaining that she was from Cuba. Um, yeah, she would sort of say her surname was one thing and then another. And so that was her, her first few days at this um, women's shelter. Mm-hmm. And then they take her in front of a judge to determine what's up with her. Um, so she does that and they say, yeah, she's not well. So they put her into Bellevue Hospital for a few days. That's kind of when it started for her where she started to realize how people were treated Mm. in these situations. So at Bellevue, uh, they're forced to eat old moldy spoiled food. And if you didn't eat it, then you didn't eat at all. Uh, they were, you know, roughly handled moving from any point in the hospital, uh, you know, strapped to the beds if Mm -hmm. felt necessary. It was basically whatever the, the, the nurses or the attendants decided. She was then interviewed a few times. So doctors would interview her and she convinced them. She convinced them that she was crazy and that she needed to be put into the Blackwell Asylum, which is, yeah, pretty, pretty impressive. So she's 23 years old. What? She's 23. Oh my God. I I had lost the plot by then anyway. I'd start to believe (laughs) the crap that I was saying. Like, no, nah. Yeah. That's exactly right. So she literally is 23 years old and just wants to do this for a story. Like she feels it's so important to tell the story of these people um, that she's putting herself through all of this. Mm. Uh, So she goes to Blackwell and uh, she makes friends with lots of her her inmates. There's psychological abuse, physical abuse. Patients are forced to take ice cold baths Mm. 
mm-hmm. and then sleep in their wet clothes, um, which then they would get really sick uh, naturally. They were forced to sit still on benches or chairs. They couldn't speak or move. Um, that would be for 12 hours or more. Uh, some people were tethered together with ropes uh, and then they had to sort of like pull carts around like mules, so physical labour. Food and sanitary conditions are horrific. Rotten meat, mouldy stale bread, contaminated uh, foods. And anyone who complained uh, was was beaten. Um, so, yeah, Bly was even explaining that, yeah, there was the threat of sexual violence by Ugh. the staffers. So even the threat and no doubt the, the enactment of that sort of violence uh, would be enough to, yeah, I mean, she's sane and yet she's observing this or witnessing this and it would start to make you question your own. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, your own capacity to, to deal. What the devastating thing was... Uh, is that Bly realised that a lot of the inmates, they weren't insane at all. Um, They were mostly immigrants, they were mostly women, and they were caught up in the law enforcement system, Mm. um, but they couldn't speak the language, so no one understood them. So they just locked them up. It was, yeah, it was basically no family to support you, you're poor and you don't speak our language, you're insane, see Mm. you later, and just thrown into these places. What Bly also realised is that these, you know, Immigrants and poor people, majority women, they weren't crazy or insane when they went in, but they get to the asylum and the treatments that they're given and the psychological damage that was provided to them mm-hmm. forced a lot of them to then fall into that. Yeah. Uh, it's like the reverse where it's like, hang on, I've gone into this because I was trying to escape from, you know, a country that was, you know, putting my life at risk. And basically the treatment in this place causes them to become crazy. Yeah. Um, or, yeah. It breaks people. It's torture. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly right. Yeah, I was, I was also having a look at like one of the articles when, when Bly was explaining that uh, one of the patients was um, unable to make herself understood. So she was German. Mm-hmm. So she couldn't speak in English. And Bly said, can such carelessness be excused? I wonder when it's so easy to get an interpreter. If the confinement was for a few days, then one might question the necessity, but there was a woman that was taken without her consent from the free world to an asylum and given no chance to prove her sanity. Confined most probably for her life uh, behind asylum bars without ever being told in her language why or what for. Compare this with a criminal who's given every chance to prove their innocence. Who would not rather be a murderer and take the chance for life than be declared insane without hope of escape? Mm. Preach. Preach, Nellie Bly. So it was pretty incredible that she spent 10 days in this place. The good news story is that her actions and her article, you know, forced the government to, to you know, start an inquisition mm-hmm. into this asylum. Now, the asylum got the drop. So they cleaned up the place before the inquisitions had started and the, the um, you know, investigation was there. Mm-hmm. So they literally cleaned the place up. So they <laughs> cleaned the walls and brought in fresh food and cleaned the patients and, uh, yeah, all of this BS. And who's going to believe the patients? Exactly. That's it. Fortunately, they believed our girl MB, that's, Nellie Blair. That's right. Um, and they, uh, yeah, they started to provide more funding um and they 
cleaned out that whole place. I got rid of all of the, the people that were working there. And they also went through all of the patients and, you know, discharged so many people. They got interpreters so that people could be told what was going What's on. What's going on. Why they were there. Yeah, so it was pretty pretty incredible. She managed to secure a million dollars in funding, which in today's time is like $24 million. Holy moly. Um, yeah, so it's the 1800s. A yeah. million bucks in funding over a year. But talk about being committed to something and, yeah. you know, you think about the work that she did then and yet that's the 1800s and it still took until 1980 for us to shift fully away yeah. from all of this and the stigma still of mental health is well and truly rampant but mm. at least we're not locking people away anymore but, you know, there's a slew of other problems which you don't have time to go into. But <laughs> Yeah, we would need to yeah have a whole separate podcast series for that. I completely agree. Uh, but you're right, you know, over 160 years of this information being known. And, um, yeah, it was a slow road, uh, but she certainly paved the way in a sense. In addition, she completed uh, the round-the-world trip in 72 days, beating Jules Verne's 80-day record. So go her. She's just a pioneer. Badass boss woman getting shit done. So there's been other experiments uh, that are sort of not not necessarily similar, but along the same lines as um, Nellie Bly. So there is quite, there's another sort of quite famous one, um, which was the Rosnahan experiment. So this was a psychology uh, professor um, from Syracuse University. Uh, and he arranged for a group of people to voluntarily, you know, admit themselves so that they could get some inside information, I suppose. Essentially, the question was, uh, you know, how do you tell the difference between someone that's sane and insane? Mm. That was the question that, that he was asking. So he admitted himself they would say that they had the same kinds of symptoms. So it's, it's also known as, as the THUD experiment. They would say that they had, uh, you know, that they heard voices. Mm -hmm. So that there was hollow, it was a thud, and it was, you know, voices in their head that they were just saying those words over and over again. What it ended up proving is that essentially you can just deceive people if you choose to. So whilst he was, the the Rosenhan experiment was really about trying to, you know, debunk the professionalism and the usefulness of psychiatrists and mental health doctors, which obviously angered the community, uh, but it made people question it uh, a lot as well, which was a good thing in a, in a way because, you know, we should always question practices of, of people or, or, you know, particularly when it comes to health, um, you know, you've got the right to questioning it, second opinions and, and do what's right for you. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people were not happy with Rosnahan and the study that, according to uh, another scientist... Uh, is, I don't know, where's her name? <gasps> Susanna Callahan. Mm. She basically said, look, you can deceive people. Um, it didn't really prove anything because the level of deception from each of the people that were in these asylums or these institutions um, was rampant. So mm-hmm. it's really difficult to determine what that actually achieved. But they were, again, willing to put themselves into that situation where if you pretend that you are not mentally stable and then you decide you don't want to be there anymore, how do you convince someone that you're fine? 
Yeah, not to downplay their treatment or anything like that. Obviously, that is mm. scary and terrifying and, all, you know, as, as all the rest. But I think it's the the fear of not being able to get out. I think what this topic, yeah. this the, the moment for me is that, oh, my God, I may actually stay here. Or maybe I am <laughs> unwell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and well, I should it. stay here. To, exactly. You start to question your uh, question yourself. And that's the scarier part, you know, being stuck in your own brain and trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong. I don't want to be stuck in my own brain, Doug. No. Do you want to be stuck in your own brain? No, not yours, not mine, <laughs> not anyone's. Sorry about it. Make me a celestial being. That would be lovely. <laughs> yeah, I would like to be a ball of gases. Yeah. Um, not a being, a bean, you know, a green a bean, bean just floating green around. Bean. Yeah, why not? Pimento bean, uh, black bean. Oh, I like black beans. Yeah, same. It's making me think of Mexican food, which when I said, you know, I want to be a ball of gases, that's what I thought of as well as Mexican food. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> usually has that effect on me. You're welcome, everyone. Still looking for sponsors. So Taco Bell. Um... El Paso, please. El Paso, old El Paso. Mission oh, Foods, God. I want some corn chips, please. <laughs> Oh my God. So when I was, uh, yeah, sort of continuing on my research, I did type the question into to Google, you know, what would you do if you were in a, in a, in a sailor, insane asylum or a mental asylum? Um, and you had to try to convince people that you were sane. And a lot of people responded to that. So I found a thread where people explained that they were actually had been in that situation. Oh. Um, it wasn't quite naturally, this is, you know, in more modern times. So these are um, institutions or facilities that don't beat people up for no reason and mm. don't put you in a straight jacket. And, but there is still the element of if you're, you know, involuntarily admitted, you can't leave unless somebody, you know, provides you with the authority to leave. So you can't just check yourself out like a, uh, a you know, another hospital. Um so one of the stories that I had a, that I was looking at was um, a young girl who was 16 and she went to a party and she had too many recreational drugs um, and she overdosed and her parents, well, she didn't overdose, but she, um, I mean, yeah, she overdosed but survived mm -hmm. and her parents, uh, you know, they, they admitted her into because they believed that she was trying to commit suicide. Um, she wasn't. But that was their interpretation of what had happened with her behavior. So, mm -hmm. yeah, they put her into a facility with a yeah involuntary admission. So this young girl, um, who at the time of writing this was uh, 34 years old, so she was reflecting on what had happened to her. But uh, she explained that she, as she re re rehabilitated after being put into this um, facility, she came to learn that suicide was an act that gets you a free, all-expenses-paid trip to a psychiatric care unit. No matter the fact that I'd protested the event as a dosage mishap and not an attempt on my life, I was admitted into the unit as an involuntary patient. The thing that no one understood that was while I did suffer with emotional health issues, I was working through them because I actually loved life. I'd not tried to commit suicide. Mm. The first days were the hardest. I was stripped of my liberties and was confined to the facility. My luggage meticulously searched for blades and drugs. They took away all solvents like hairspray and deodorant, anything that I might use to harm myself. It was humiliating. I went on to spend a month in the unit and it was wasted on me. I wasn't diagnosed with any mental health issues by the psychiatrists. I wasn't medicated and I didn't need that level of care. 
But what I took from that were many of the stories of the staff and their convictions that brought them to work with you struggling with mental health and of the other young people who were genuinely in need of care. They were struggling with life beyond anything that I had known. So that was a story that it just resonated with me because, you know, this is someone that was put into that facility because her parents believed that she needed that level of care. Mm-hmm. Turns out that she didn't, um, you know, but to have them in an institution like that where she was able to observe and witness uh, people that were there that did need that type of care, um, I feel like that's really powerful. It reminds me of a story of when I was in high school and was um, taken to a hospital in Melbourne somewhere and someone, one of our listeners is going to remember the name of this, so please let us know. But it was like a gallery and all the artists, sorry, all the patients were obviously given the opportunity to um, paint and draw and get creative. And they had exhibitions or, you know, sections where people who suffered from schizophrenia, all their artwork and what it did to their work and, and people that suffered from depression and all these, you know, all these different patients and all the different type of work that came out of it. And I still to this day remember it so vividly and that like the quality of work is varied quite wildly but it was really interesting to see how the similarities and the things that people from different you know conditions suffer and what's you know perception of self for instance or all that sort of stuff anyway I wish I hope it's still out there because I'd love to go and see it again but it was on the side of an old hospital an old facility and then it's been turned into this gallery I believe yeah wow and that's the sort of things that that stay with you you know even when I was doing some reading about this that sounds incredible yeah I'll have to find it and share it yeah. but um also I just thought I would give a, a, a shout out that story was written by uh Leah Frost so it was uh popped up on to a website uh, two years ago, mm-hmm. but that is her story. Thanks for sharing, um, Leah. Thanks, Leah. Thank you for allowing me to uh, include that into some of our research. So the crux of the research and story that we were looking at into dementophobia today is in the 1800s, insane asylums, not the greatest place to go. I mm-hmm. give it 0.5 stars, would not recommend, <laughs> would not visit again. Uh more so in the you know 2000s we have a wealth of resources and uh you know organizations uh you know black dog institute beyond blue uh there's so many i haven't even written enough down but yeah yeah definitely uh ask people to you know use those amazing organizations um if if needs be because uh there's certainly leaps and bounds since little Nellie Bly was sitting at Blackwell Asylum in New York City. We've come a ways. Yeah, and I just also think about how privileged we are to live in Australia and the care that we do, you know, the universal health care that we do have access to. And then also it reminds me of seeing people on the street, people experiencing homelessness, and it gets my goat, gets up my goat, gets my goat going. What's the saying? It gives, it gives you a goat. Something about get, a goat. I think it's... I think it's gets my goat. There we go. Something goat related. When people use terms like someone is technically the word crazy is not, not the most, and, or someone's having a a moment or anything like that. And you see these people on the streets that just need to be taken care of. Like the, Mm. that first, 
step of kindness first before judging people or even seeing things on TikToks where they're making fun of people. I'm just like, I, I, I can't handle it. Absolutely. But because um, those are the people that would have been locked up and locked away and totally yeah. mistreated. Whereas I'm glad that that is not as rampant as it was. But um, anyway, thanks mm. so much for sharing, Kate. I'm all hey, jittery. No I'm literally jittery. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, that trapped feeling. I know. And the, the other thing that Nellie Bly did, which, again, we're going to slide into the movies and pop culture, um, the that whole, you know, uh, 10 days in a madhouse, that was essentially the basis for the film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm. Um, so there's been so many, yeah, films and uh, TV shows uh, and things like that that really delve into this side of people's brains that they don't trust or that they don't and it is yeah it's a real fear it is a, a bona fide fear so it's um yeah easy for people to, to sort of manipulate in that way to make some entertaining and horrendous stuff um yeah. a lot of which i don't watch because yeah i don't want to be in my own brain please <laughs> yeah it reminds me of american horror story whichever one it was um where i think sarah paulson's character is trapped or some characters oh. trapped there's also Girl Interrupted, which is an amazing movie, um, but also reminded me of this this story. And I think there's an episode in Alias season one or two where she also, Jennifer Garner gets, she has to go undercover and she has to pretend to be unwell to find another yeah. agent. And it's like, ugh, it's horrid. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then probably one of the most famous, uh, you know, kind of, I guess sort of pop culture modern films as Shutter Island. Yeah. Uh, by Scorsese when you don't know is Leo nuts is he not is Mark Ruffalo that hot in person <laughs> like we just don't know. Um, there's all these questions that that movie made us ask. So what's our top tip for this week? Like Kate, what would you say or what would you do to prove that Dominic's not crazy and get me out? Like I will get you out. I will do this for you, but I want to know what would you say? What? Okay. So, well, okay. I mean, if it was, if it was me, so if I'm in there, the number one thing as I'm doing this reading is you just do what they say. You just play by the rules. You just, you don't try to, you know, claim that you're not insane. You don't try to try to force them. Essentially, we have the benefit of not living in the the 1800s. So we have access to telephones and things. Yeah. Uh, so the overwhelming advice that I read was just do what they say. And if you've got access to a phone, try to call someone so i would call you um and be like oh babe i've done it again i'm in a bloody asylum i just end up telling Not them again. stories about you i'll be like look i got video <laughs> evidence look at the crazy shit she's done oh my god yeah it's truth that's so true um but if you were there and you called me i think that uh yeah i mean just the fact that we would want to i would i would go to the facility and be like well can i can i see him um, and if you were, you know, off, off your rocker, I'd be like, nah, just keep him. Oh, good. I'm glad that you're checking first before letting me loose out into yeah. the population. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that, um, yeah, we, we've certainly been let out to loose into the population together. <laughs> Unfortunately, that, that place that we were let loose was Las Vegas. So. <laughs> Okay, and on that note, I think it's time for us to wrap up this episode because I do not want any of my Las Vegas stories getting out into the world. 
just yet. Maybe when I'm yeah. old and decrepit and I'm trying to relive my youth, but uh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what is our next, uh, what's our next episode, Dom? What are we, what are we vibing for our, um, our next shit and bricks pod? Well, I think we've gotten a good vibe of our two test episodes to to get into mm. a bit of a rhythm and a groove and see what works and doesn't work. So I reckon we're going to actually do our first proper episode Sick. next time, next week. And it's my turn, I believe. And I'm so excited to tell the story of Cannibal Island. Yes! I'm so excited. Obviously not excited to think about cannibals, but... Yeah, sounds hot. Get your bottle of Chianti and we will... And fava beans! <gasps> we were talking about beans earlier! Far out. That's How's that for a bookend? How's that for a bookend? We're just natural born storytellers. <laughs> well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. I hope you shut your bricks. Make sure to wipe, flush. Use your yep. Aesop, Aesop poo drops. Remember? Another another uh, sponsor. You can get poo drops. Oh my God. So not like VI poo? No, Is no, it no. the same sort of thing? They've got these like smell be gone type droplets <gasps> that you put in the toot afterwards and it's meant to make everything smell really, really nice. So Aesop oh as a sponsor. Aesop drops? Yeah. I cannot wait to do an episode on toilets because that's something that I have a real phobia about as well. So when we do that one, we can really get those sponsors lined up. It's going to be an absolute thrill. All right. Bye, everybody. See you guys. Have a great week. Stay safe.